This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. Welcome back. This is Catherine Klein. Our next guest is Thomas Schaefer. He's the chairman and managing director of the Volkswagen Group South Africa, as well as head of the sub-Saharan region for the company. Uh, And if you're thinking Volkswagen and South Africa, what does this have to do with Rwanda? The remarkable thing is that uh, Volkswagen has opened a new uh, car production factory in Kigali, the capital of Rwanda, and is rolling off cars off the assembly line uh, as we speak. Uh, this is quite a move for uh, for VW, quite a move for uh, the country of Rwanda, getting a lot of attention. Uh, and Thomas has been uh, a key player in in doing this work. So, uh, Thomas, welcome to the program. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Good Thank morning, you. Herr Schaefer. <laughs> Nick, <laughs> good afternoon here. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Nick, Nick is so as loves to speak German. Uh, and and where are, and Thomas, where are you as we've reached you? I'm in um, in, a, in a town close to Port Elizabeth in south of, in South Africa. It's called Utenhage. Ah. It's uh, where, where Volkswagen headquarters is for Africa. Great. Wow. Uh, so, for our listeners who are um, you know who are not up to speed yet on Volkswagen's moving into Rwanda, tell us uh, tell our listeners you know about the decision that Volkswagen made to open uh, a uh, car production factory in Kigali, an assembly plant in Kigali, you know, what? Rwanda is a, a, a tiny landlocked country. Um, you know, this is quite quite a, a, an interesting move. Why did VW decide to do this? Well, I've got an African heart because um, my wife is South African and I've been already on an assignment uh, 1998 to 2003 here in South Africa. Um and now been back in South Africa for the last three and a half years. And we've been sort of all the auto industry has been breaking their head about Africa. You know, what, you know, why is it not growing? How can we have access? I don't know. Countless studies have been performed by all sort of consultancies to, to give the sort of the golden shot for, um, for Africa. And nothing works. Um, main reason being used car importation. You know, Africa, um, outside South Africa and below uh, North Africa, which really is Europe, um, from our perspective, um, you know, Sub-Sahara basically has no new car uh, sales and production. That is why, um, because there's importation of used cars, typically like six, seven year old vehicles that get imported into those countries. So that prevents industrialization. And when you um, when you said nothing works, um, did you mean nothing works in figuring out how to grow the, uh, you know new car new car new car business sales, in yeah. in Africa? So yeah. a sense that this is my God, this is a huge yeah. market, but we can't we can't enter it, we can't penetrate it. Yeah, I mean it's one point two billion people uh, growing in the next so generation of next sort of twenty thirty years to two and a half billion people being like a quarter of the world population. Um, so what you know we, we cannot leave it alone, but nobody has. Uh, figured out how you can access it. How can you do business in these countries? There is no new car market. You know, the the biggest. Um, and now South Africa is a different story. I always, you know, laughingly say South Africa is like Europe with an African backdrop. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, it's, it's further industrialized. Uh, you know, for many reasons and you know historic reasons. But 
anything above South Africa and below North Africa, the Moroccos and uh, Tunisias and so on, there's nothing. There's no car production. A uh, few, few attempts have started and then went away. Um, the two biggest players, Nigeria and Kenya, are trying to get back into it. But at the moment, there is really nothing happening. And that's sad because um, they all need employment. They all want to get their youth employed and you know get industrialization going, and they should. So when we moved on, um, I really didn't look for car markets or segments in the normal approach. I reached out to a few countries that I thought were special, hmm. just to say, you know, who, who wants to do something different? And on a whim, I just went out to the embassies in, here in South Africa of these countries. And at the time, it was Rwanda, it was Tanzania, Kenya, and Ethiopia, because they are really doing something different in their approach in terms of industrialization, in terms of um, youth training, education, and so on. So I thought, that's, they've got nothing, we've got nothing. Um, who wants to do something with Volkswagen to develop it? Like we did 30 years ago in China, when everybody was laughing about Volkswagen getting started there, and it's like, well, why are you doing this? It's, you know, there's no market whatsoever. Well, truth is, you don't start, you never find out. And we, thanks goodness we have started 30 years ago. So that's how we start now in, in Rwanda, because they were the first ones to shout, hey, come on over and, and let's do something together. Let's develop it. And so, Thomas, I, I just wanted to quickly interject here to get wrap my own head around this. So I think you painted a really good picture of the African market and some of the challenges there. Um, we're going to get into sort of the model with car sharing and others within the Rwandan yep. context. But, you know, you brought up China and I think, you know, other ex you have other experiences in sort of emerging markets and, and emerging markets for yep. Volkswagen. So what were some of the challenges going in there? OK, you just said China, there's no market. But if you think about where we're going with car sharing, was there something unique you had to do to penetrate those markets or do you mean the markets in China or and elsewhere? Or do you mean in, in just sort of other emerging markets? Uh, let's see, normally emerging markets um, develop when you have like an average income of about 20,000 uh, US a year. Um, that's where like car markets, new car markets really develop. And, and often it's uh, emerging markets. You're talking about the likes of um, Pakistan, you know, Iran when it came back up, um, uh, Ecuador. So there's, there's, you know, markets that have already a sort of sizable domestic market. Now in the, in the in the case of Africa, just to give you an idea, the second biggest market in, uh, in, in sub-Saharan Africa is Kenya. Kenya has got a total sales of 120,000 vehicles per year, of which 100,000 are used cars and 20,000 mm -hmm. are new vehicles. Mm -hmm. yeah. Nobody in their right mind would open up a factory unless you know, there is some expected growth to come. And that you cannot really derive from when we, we stand in the automotive industry to look at it and say, oh, yeah, sure, in the next three years that's going to happen. So you've got to start from a different angle. And that's how the idea in, in Rwanda came about to say, if the demand is not there in the market at the moment, why don't we create the demand by um, getting people into mobility rather than into ownership? Now, the, our logic that we started from is when you look at the 1.2 billion in Africa, how many people have $20,000 in the pocket to buy themselves a new car? Probably, say, 10 million. But there is like... 200 million people who need to go from A to B, and they've got 5 or $10 in the pocket. And if you can access that, then you create demand because you turn over vehicles faster and, and replace them with new ones. 
So, so Thomas, jobs and a, hmm? I'd love you to uh, kind of unpack that this innovative model that you're uh, you know, piloting in in Rwanda because there's so many interesting parts to this. Maybe I can just give a you know a, a quick uh, overview of a few key points as I understand them, and then you'll correct and elaborate. Um, okay. Certainly, uh, you know, one of the things I know we, we've seen in Rwanda is, and Kagame, the president of, Kagame, uh, of Rwanda, President Kagame, has spoken more and more recently about, you know, like, we don't want to be the country of second-hand handoffs. You know, we don't want people, everyone in the country, wearing used clothing. That's not dignified. That's not us. That's not good for our economy. And along the same lines, we don't really want second-hand cars to be the, you know, and, and furthermore, when we buy you know, yes, we buy these low-quality, secondhand used products. When we do that, we end up spending any more more money anyway because the products are are not as good. So this is you know, there's a uh, an ethos of you know we want uh, new products pro- uh, built in in Rwanda. Um, you've opened this assembly plant. I want to know more about. I mean, that would seem to me to be a huge financial risk, but I guess it, it, it's not. I want to know about that. Um, you're producing cars, and rather than these cars. Uh, being sold or the primary goal of selling them to individual consumers, uh, rather they're going to be uh, available for a uh, car sharing uh, platform. I'm thinking this is a little bit like Nick Heltman blinking on the uh, terms. That zip the, car? Like a zip car um, mm-hmm. where all the cars, but but you know, but here all the cars are, are VWs. Um, so that's that's some of the pieces I understand quickly of the model. How, elaborate. What did I get right? What did I get wrong? <laughs> Explain this to us. Yeah, no, it's a little bit more. So we, 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 it's not exclusive. We're not doing this just for mobility. We're also obviously selling uh, new vehicles uh, that were assembled in the country um, to the, you know, the companies. There's a lot of international companies that mm-hmm. need vehicles um, that purchase their vehicles. Um, government needs cars and private customers. So that that's also happening. But the focus at the moment, because the demand per year is um is not big enough to um to really utilize a factory properly so that's why we go into mobility first because that turns over cars bigger and, and faster now it's not only um the the car sharing zip car model it's it's also um ride hailing um which is like an uber or a get or whatever no? so we do that also and shuttling which is like a um sort of you know, standard route that um, like a little bus goes and, and, you know, from airport into town and you can book a seat on that on that shuttle and then, you know, so it goes in, in various stages and you have options to choose from. Whether you want to drive yourself or you want to take a shuttle or you want to get picked up by a normal car. Does Volkswagen so, own those services or are those private yes. companies buying that from the cars from Volkswagen to power their service? No, no, it's a different model to the existing ones in wow. the other markets in the world. We own the cars, and uh, we also employ the drivers, and we train the drivers. So we've got full sort of jurisdiction and can can really do the training properly. Safety is always an issue, um, you know, especially here in Africa. A lot of incidents have happened with um, uh, like attacks on, on on passengers and stuff. So we we want to take care of this. Right from the beginning. So I have so many questions. Go ahead, I gotta let you guys questions. And I, I don't want so interesting. Yeah, I don't want to pause your train of thought in terms of the broader business model. But, but my first question is one: 
have does has Volkswagen done this in any other markets in terms of terms of owning these different types of services? And two, it reminds me I guess this is less of a question, but it reminds me of sort of how I think Philips has gone to more as lighting as a service versus just like buy buy our light bulbs. So curious how I mean there's this broader global movement with massive corporations thinking about service, the quote unquote circular economy or whatever, but um curious what your thoughts are on that, Thomas. Well it was you know it's one of one of the ideas that came up um, together. The Rwandan government has got a, a, a um, sort of one ministry. It's called the RDB, Rwandan yeah. Development Board. They're super jacked up in uh, in sort of attracting investment and everything. So we we had lengthy meetings with them, and I was just excited by by the cooperation. And we were breaking our head, you know, how can we make it happen? Because I really wanted this country to to get some of the cake. So we said, well, come on, let's get it done. And we came up jointly with that idea. And it took us a long while to make sense of it, but um, at the end of the day, it's um, Kigali is probably the ideal location to try it out, right? because it's a pretty compact city. Uh, it's not extreme in terms of heat or humidity or anything. Uh, the distances are, are really small. So to do that model in Kigali, um, we can do it with 600 cars initially. Now, if you want to try the same in Johannesburg or Lagos or somewhere else, you're talking about 5,000 or 10,000 cars to have a significant footprint and, and get customers the service that they need. Otherwise, you press a button, no car comes for the next hour, then, um, you know, it will fail. So so we, we believe that, that Kigali is the ideal environment also because of the tech-savvy young population and, you know, and, and the absolute need for mobility. So we'll try it out, and if that works, we'll, we'll roll it out from there. So it's- that's... I don't know more either. So it's a, I call it like an industrial experiment. <laughs> it is a it is a marvelous experiment, and and you know it's great. It's really exciting to uh, to hear this, um, Thomas. When you were describing this, uh, I'm, I'm struck. Listen, you know, like it it sounds. Uh, maybe the analogy is gold is that a Goldilocks? Uh, no, is it Goldilocks? Is it Goldilocks? Yes, Goldilocks and the three bears. Not too small, not too big, just right. You need to have enough demand. Uh, you know, to justify building this production facility in Rwanda. Um, but as you're suggesting, not so much demand for these cars uh, that it, you know, that you can't meet it and, and attract customers. Um, so that's a, that, that sounds like a little, uh, like finding that right sweet spot sounds like it could be a challenge. Yeah, sure. But, in, you know, in, in automotive business, the, the first step into automotive is uh, what we call SKD, semi-knockdown. That is a... Um, you have like a work content of about uh, so about 20 hours per vehicle that you put it back together. Um, that's how any country automotive has basically started outside the sort of European or American context. Like China started SKD, Russia is still doing it, Indonesia. So you have um, so you basically have low investment. And you know, we'll be talking. You know, in our case, we've got put about 20 million uh, US uh, into this operation. Um, a company of our size is not going to die if, if it, you know, if by all means goes south, which we don't expect, by the way. But, um, you know, it, it, it is a risk worth taking. Now, the next step into what we call full CKD, completely knocked down, that would attract invests of like 150, 200 million US. And that's obviously much more significant, but it also turns out like uh, you're talking about 50,000 cars per year. Now, I need, you know, where to put them. Um, who are the customers to such an amount of vehicles. If it develops, cool, but if it doesn't, we'll see. So for now, we took the first step. It's like a leap of faith. Um, it is, I would say, a risk that is appropriate, 
Um, if it works out, fantastic. Then it was definitely worth taking. If it doesn't work out, then you know nobody um, will go out of business because of that. Yeah, fascinating. We're we're talking with Thomas Schaefer, the chairman and managing director of the Volkswagen Group South Africa, as well as head of the Sub-Saharan region uh, for VW, and we're talking about their new uh, production facility and their new model in uh, Kigali, Rwanda. So, Catherine, this is a little bit gut checking with you too, yeah. but. Thomas, what I'm hearing, which I'm super excited about, is I worked on a project when I worked at IDEO.org that we were creating a clean water business in the slums of Nairobi, actually. Um, And it was backed by a big consumer brand. And one of our big findings was people trust strong brands. I mean, Mm. that seems intuitive. But really what we were saying is like they trusted the big consumer brand, not just like the brand we were creating. Um, and you think of Volkswagen as a very well-known, recognizable brand. And so I think on what that brings to, to my mind are two things. One is sort of as sort of a, you know an expat living in Rwanda or someone who's traveling to Rwanda, like ride like hailing a ride from a Volkswagen company, probably a no-brainer for me. Versus like when I travel or yeah. you travel, Catherine, like, our buddy Issa drives us around, or you might take the hotel taxi right. type of thing where there's a car service that they provide. Um, but so it kind of opens up new transport for me. But then I think also, you know, local Rwandans or maybe potentially Kenyans and others will th- probably think about that brand being like, I can, t- yeah, I can take that ride. Right, right. Versus that, a startup yeah. or an NGO, which is like, is that going to be here? If I get used to this, is that going to be here tomorrow? Right. Right. Like that's sort of where the brand recognition and loyalty comes from is the the uh, suspicion that it's not going to be there tomorrow. So why would I integrate that into my life? Yeah, yeah. No, I, th- I mean that totally resonates with me, Nick. And I'm also, you know, in we've been uh, we've mentioned a couple of times uh, in this program, uh, Marriott has come up. Uh, so maybe perhaps we'll do a show at some point with uh, Marriott, which has opened this you know, stunning uh, hotel really high-end Marriott in Kigali. And the level, you know, I've traveled to Rwanda many times, the level of service I experienced at the Marriott was, you know, uh, it was higher than than even other luxury, you know, as, as a general rule, than other luxury hotels. There's something that international brands bring that's very comforting for those of us who are used to those brands and know. But I also think um, they play an, an interesting aspirational or educational role in the country. Like, oh, this is what good service looks like. Aspirational, that was another key finding of that project, ah. was that, you know, it was like basic needs, you yeah. know, or or aspirational, and aspirational won out almost every time. Right, yeah, yeah, interesting. Uh, we, we had we had unbelievable reception in the, in the country just because of our brand. Um, there is huge heritage um, of Volkswagen in Africa, mm. which I wasn't also really aware of, that it's still, I mean, the, the, the Beatles and the, the old buses, People are like they, they start smiling when when we talk about Volkswagen. So there's we don't have to lecture people about the brand or whatever. They either still have heritage or they they watch TV and you know they they know what's going on. So um, we had open doors. That's that was fantastic. And you know it's not only for the um, international travelers. Obviously, I mean that's uh, it helps. But then uh, the local Rwandans um, they they embraced the brand from day one. Yeah. It was amazing. So, Thomas, talk with us about some of the lessons that you've learned. I mean, this is still early days for your operations in Rwanda. Um, and uh, but, you know, what are what are key lessons learned? I mean, it's in it does sound rather like you're you've uh, I mean, there are, there's an awful lot that's new for VW in your work in Rwanda. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I think you need strong local representation. You need, you need um, talent on the ground. We found a phenomenal lady um, that is running our operations there, Michaela. Um, she, after the genocide, grew up in, in Ivory Coast on the, on the west of Africa and then went to Germany to Kaiserslautern to, uh, to study. So, I mean, she speaks like French, English, uh, Kini Rwanda, German fluently, and uh, the level of education there because of the, um, uh, the universities around, uh, the, the Carnegie Mellon universities in Kigali, the, the kind of talent we, we have on the ground is, is mind-blowing. I've, I've never seen anything like this, and that helps tremendously um, having access to um, the startup scene, having access to um, you know, government, uh, international companies. You need somebody on the ground who knows the system, otherwise there's no chance in hell. That's but one of the my key lessons. Yeah, fascinating. And you know, and again, we were, we're talking uh, throughout the show today about about Rwanda and you know the the talent development in Rwanda. The commitment to that has been uh, huge, and uh, you know, and and part of the Kagame government, uh, you know, its strategy has been to reach out to the diaspora, and and say to yeah. Rwandans who grew up as refugees outside the country or who, you know, who fled uh, during the genocide or before the genocide, you know, come home and be part of the transformation of, of Rwanda. Uh, I have not met Michaela. I've heard of her, the, the Rwandan leading the VW effort. Uh, and it sounds like she's a spectacular example of that, that strategy. Um, yeah, we, go ahead. Yeah, we had a, a management team meeting in South Africa with our entire management. And uh, we, we have a big organization here in South Africa. So we invited our Rwandan team over. And the first question after all the presentation, uh, um, Michaela asked, like, "What is South Africa's um, strategy? You know, what do you stand for? What is, you know, where are you heading to?" You know, and, and they couldn't work it out that there is not like a, a government, a clear vision on, you know, where do you want to go? What, you know, what are we all? If you wake somebody up in Rwanda and okay, what is, what is Rwanda standing for? What do you want to do in the next ten years? Everybody can answer that question basically. And you know, in South Africa, it was like, well. Um, move forward so i don't know so it was it was very funny to see that happening she was like couldn't believe that there's not a, a single clear strategy and vision going forward mm. uh, unifying the country right and so thomas i'm not sure if you're you know in the position to speak about this but you talked about working with the rwandan development board as you were planning mm-hmm. you know this um these operations and this sort of new business model do you have any sense of sort of economic development metrics or sort of the planned, you know, what your investment may create these number of jobs and this type of output for the country in terms of their own economic development? Look, I, the, the Rwandans are extremely strong in, in, in planning and, um, and strategy. Um, like when we, st- having, and we started having discussions from day one about, for example, electric mobility, a country that's extremely clean, uh, focused on uh, nature conservation, um, and no heritage sort of in, uh, legacy investments in the traditional propulsion. So, you know, technically they could leapfrog the development, go into um, electric mobility straight away. So we were, and they have 70% of regenerative energy. So we were discussing with them and they immediately went into, okay, why don't we, you know, develop a grid, why don't we do the forward planning, we can do the hydropower, now we can push this up and do that. So everything is sort of put together into a, a, a master plan, but into like a a sort of combined plan on, you know, which kind of jobs are we focusing on, where are we pushing forward. It it doesn't happen randomly. 
So it's you know they were already talking about well if you go public public transport into electric, um, what is the demand needed? How do we get the the power plants sized to do this, and how many jobs come out of it? So it's extremely well planned out. And um, in our case, um, we're doing like the first stage that we started. Now we're going to do about a thousand jobs. That's massive for for Kigali. Right. Uh, so uh, it sounds not big on you know in the international context, but I mean 11 million people country um, 11,000 jobs in Kigali just from us is great and by us coming to uh, to Rwanda now we have attracted the likes of SAP um, DHL there's uh, Siemens Bosch you know they're all um, sort of coming along to say oh you know if Volkswagen is there you know why not why are we not coming it's a good idea no so that's exciting. Other yeah, it is so exciting. It is. It is. It's just so exciting, and uh, you know, I look forward to for, to chatting more about all of this. And uh, and also, I'll I'll say, taking our our listeners' questions and comments when we when we break after a little bit longer, we'll be at one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Are you going to be able to take your the faculty to at yeah, least but, buy the, uh, the we plant? hope to, we <laughs> hope to I, I need to double check so I will say that um, I'm joining a, a faculty I, I, I go every year a couple usually a couple of times a year to Rwanda I take MBA students but I'm going back this time joining a Wharton faculty group that is traveling to uh, both South Africa Cape Town and Johannesburg and Kigali and ultimately on to Nairobi and we have it's a um, I wish we had more time to visit each of these countries it'll be a short visit in Rwanda um, and I'm forgetting what day it is. It's maybe that Monday, August, no, July 29th. Is that a Monday? Uh, I hope, I do hope we get to see VW. So I, I don't know. I'm not planning the schedule, but uh, if I, you know, Thomas will talk more about that because we would really love to be able to visit uh, VW. Anytime. Yeah. No problem. Um, Michaela will, will receive you. No problem. That is terrific. I appreciate that very much. Uh, we would, I would really love to see this in, in action. Um I'd love to learn more about the mobility solution and, you know, uh, who I, because I've, I've read that, you know, you've worked with a local IT company to develop um, the, the, the business. Um, what's, what's that look like now? If I go into Rwanda, you know, if I'm a business, part of the government, a tourist uh, or a, a local Rwandan, what does this mobility solution look like for me today? And what's it going to look like in a year or two? Yeah, we we got um, the the software the app was developed uh, with a company called Osomity Lab. It's a you know lo- young local startup, couple of guys. I think not, not, nobody's older than twenty five or something. Love but that. they put this together in light speed at a like uh, a third of the budget that we had, um, and it's phenomenal. So um, the the app is like a it gives you options when it's done. Now at the moment we launched the first service. Um, and we're going to launch the next one, which is ride hailing, um, in October. So right now you have community car sharing, which is uh, car sharing available to a community, which could be uh, an NGO, a university, um, um, government agency. You decide on how many cars you need for your organization, and these cars are for the exclusive use of your employees. They can book it on the app, and you get we, we handle the entire background, including fueling, washing getting the cars ready and, and all of that. Um, the ride-hailing part of it, because I said, will be in October, and then the, the, the proper official car sharing, the, the B2C car sharing for the public will, have, will start in probably in January. Wow. So um, all the services will be online, and the app will then give you the options. You know, you're somewhere in town, um, app knows where you are, and you say you want to go 
whatever place you want to go to the Marriott, see Rex, you put it in, and uh, it gives you option one. Um, there's a shuttle coming by in whatever, five minutes, you can jump on that, or our ride-hailing car can pick you up, cost you so much. You can also get the cars two streets down, you can pick it up and drive yourself. So it gives you various options, various costs, and you know, so that's, that's the whole point, um, to give the people option, and depending on their size of their pocket, they can you know, go in luxury or go um, drive themselves there. Yeah. It's a, a, a remarkable, and I'm, I'm sitting here smiling to my fel- myself because uh, though I've traveled to Rwanda a lot, I've actually never driven in Rwanda. And it you know, sounds like the, the first car I should drive in Rwanda should be a VW. <laughs> I'd be happy to do I'm that. I sincerely hope so. I, I, would, I would be happy to, to do that. Um, as you, uh, we, we need to take a break in a moment. I uh, would love to know more about sort of where you see this experiment leading uh, in Rwanda, let's say in the next two or three years, and uh, and beyond Rwanda. You know, what do you, what, what, if we have this conversation again, you know, in two or three years, what will we be hearing about? Okay. Um, I mean, first of all, we're going to branch it out in Rwanda. That's the next one. And we go to the next bigger cities like Muzanze and so on, so that um, you have uh, proper connections throughout the country. Um, especially for tourism up to the gorillas, you know, to volcanic mountains and so on. You need proper um, possibility for transport. Um, and, and then it's the other African countries. I mean, uh, Ghana, for example, has already reached out to us and said, look, um, great idea, let's do this. Uh, and then you, you obviously have to multiply the experiment by a lot um, to bring these bigger countries um, into this uh, system. So for us, it's as soon as uh, our, we have the positive result that we are hoping for, um, we're gonna we're gonna move on. And Thomas, I have a quick question: um, Are we talking about sort of one size fits all, one model of car for Rwanda? Or you know, when you mentioned the you know going to see the mountain gorillas, like we when we went, we took a you know an SUV of some kind. Like, what types mm-hmm. of cars are you producing? Now we are, the, the initial setup is um, the Polo with small. Um, hatchback uh, passenger car that's the one that we built also in South Africa um, then we have uh, the US Passat uh, the, it's built in Chattanooga um, and we have the Tiguan um, as a small SUV and we have the Atlas as a big SUV it's just called Terramont in, in other parts of the world it's only called Atlas in the US oh okay but so so you have the big SUV but you can also you know and, and sorry the Amarok which is the, the pickup yeah. that comes from it's mainly government application uh, and and Thomas, you talked about the the reactions of other businesses. You know that some of the, some other uh, you know mm-hmm. SAS and others being interested in what you're doing. What about other car companies? Are they, or how are they responding to this move? Well, there's a few that uh, were very surprised and were a little bit upset <laughs> with us moving in. And uh, but it's uh, I don't you know they all had their chance. You know, nobody believed in in this country, and, and we reached out first. And uh, it's it's free; it's a free market. Everybody can come in and, and you know try their try their luck anywhere. But so far, everybody ran to the obvious choice, which is Nigeria, mm. biggest country, 190 million, blah blah blah. And and we've been on hold in Nigeria for the last four to five years um, after a promising start at the time. Um, so everybody's, and that's the, I'd say the biggest mistake that the whole the industry is doing and making, they're all looking at 
just the size of the country. And I don't think that that will unlock the potential yeah. in other means. Some might be upset about it. Some are still ridiculing us and saying, well, nonsense what you're doing there, but I can take that. That's fine. You know, we'll move on anyway. That's great. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.